Amen. Hallelujah. Man, I loved that singing. That was good. Whew. I don't know. That was good. You know, uh, when, when I was a kid, maybe you enjoyed playing wiffle ball too. One of, the, one of the best parts about wiffle ball is you could whack the snot out of that ball and it still would not go outside your backyard, right? So it, the wiffle ball has the best part of baseball without the hard work because you can, everybody wants a grand slam. Everybody wants to put it over the fence, right? And, and with wiffle, wiffle ball, you can hit it like you're going to put it over the fence and it still doesn't make it to the swing set. It's perfect, right? You know, um, <laughs> you know, one of the beautiful things about being in God's family, one of the great things about being a baby brother to Jesus Christ is that God loves it when we swing for the fence. That I have a dad, a heavenly dad, who is standing in the backyard and he says, swing it with all your might, go for the fence. And I can swing, I can swing for the fence every single time. And you know the beautiful thing about my dad, my heavenly dad, is even if I strike out, he's just as proud as if I put the ball over the fence. I'm completely free to swing and miss. I'm completely free to swing and miss. It's beautiful. He's always proud, takes delight in his kids. You know, religion doesn't offer that. Religion is always, you can't hit it hard enough. It's always, oh, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Swing it again. You might earn this pleasure. Go ahead. Oh, God wasn't looking that time. Here, try it again. Go ahead. Oh, it's always, you're ne you never measure up. Religion is this. Religion is the desperate attempt Religion is the desperate attempt of an orphaned soul to create its own adoption. Let me say that again. Religion is the desperate attempt of an orphaned soul to create its own adoption. Religion says, keep trying, keep doing, and maybe then, maybe then God will be pleased with you. Maybe then. Religion keeps you so busy doing good, but you never become good. It's just keep trying, and it always promises that you'll get there. Always promises that, you know, maybe one more try again, you'll get there. But you never do, and that's why religion's a trap, because you never get there. See, the, the root of religion is fear. It's the fear that somehow God won't love me unless I do these things. But the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear. The, see, the Bible tells me that I'm already loved, that, um, that, that God demonstrates his own love for me in this, Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for me. So while I, I mean, understand that, while I was still a sinner, I wasn't swinging for any fence. I was the rebel in the other, you know what I mean? I mean, I was, I was against God. And even while I was against God, God loved me. 
That's, that's what it says. Religion says, no, 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 no. You have, to, you have to do this, this, and this, and this, and then maybe God will love you. So keep trying. It, so I'm in this perpetual state of never quite doing enough, never quite measuring up. And religion is a big, big, big problem. Jesus battled it, spoke out against it, fought it every day of his life when he walked the earth. And the Apostle Paul is hammering away at it in the letter to the Galatians. And that's where we've been studying for the last several weeks now, and we'll continue for the next couple of weeks. This morning is Breakthrough Sunday. It really is, because this morning, this morning, we turned the corner in Galatians. And um, I really believe this morning, as I just prayed prophetically, that religion is dead. I declare it. Can I get an amen? You agree with me? Religion is dead. It is dead. You know, they say God is dead. Religion is dead. It has no hold on me this morning. No hold whatsoever. So as we've been going through this study in Galatians, the Apostle Paul in his writing has used, you know, numerous contrasts so that we can understand it better, but so that we can also make a more informed choice, right? So we've, um, we've talked through those. Uh, there is religion or the gospel. Take your choice. The gospel is good news. Religion is not good news. How can that be good news? I have more rules I have to keep. That's not good news. So which would you like, religion or the gospel? See? The next choice was, would you like relationship or would you like more rules? What would you like? You choose. You choose. Would you like, would you like hope or would you like faith? Would you like, to just, would you like to spend the rest of your life hoping that you'll get there or would you like faith knowing that it's yours? Would you like curse or blessing? I'll take blessing, please. Thank you. Would you like, and then last Sunday we looked at this, do you need a babysitter or would you like adulthood? Remember the question we asked last Sunday, how many rules does it take to keep you in line, to keep you doing the right thing? See, do you really need a babysitter? Do you really need a list of rules to tell you this is what you need to do and this is what you can't do? Or would you prefer the freedom and the responsibility, they go together, that comes with adulthood? And now this morning, the Apostle Paul brings us in in our study in Galatians to yet one more contrast, which I happen to think it's my favorite. It's the best one of all, I believe. It's the clearest one of all. Would you like slavery or would you like to be a son? What would you like? Would you like to spend the rest of eternity serving, serving, serving? Or would you like to simply become a child of God? to become an heir to the kingdom. What would you like? That's what we look at this morning. So we turn to Galatians uh, chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 26. And um, we're going to just kind of read through this and, and make a few applications. Oh, one more statement. Jesus here, try to get this one. I love this one. But Jesus did not die for you. He died as you. He's your substitute on the cross. 
Jesus took your place on the tree so that you could take his place at the table. Jesus took your place on the cross so that you could have his place in the castle. That'll preach. I thought that was good. Religion is a trap. It keeps you busy doing good, and you never become good. So let's start. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Stop there. I'm going to comment on each one of these verses for the next little bit. You're all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a common notion in our world today that is flat wrong. It's the notion that we're all children of God. That is not true. We are not all children of God. We have all been created by God. Absolutely. That, that is true. All seven billion of us created by God. But all seven billion of us are not children of God. A child of God is only someone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. The Bible's pretty clear that prior to this, we were enemies of God. So it is, it, you cannot say, oh, we're all, you know, we love those songs and Hollywood loves to talk about it. We all say we're all children. No. It, you know what that is? That's a lie from the pit of hell that causes people to become numb to the true condition of their souls so that they think they're okay. And Satan is literally pulling people into hell with that lie at this very moment. Thinking, I'm a child of God. We're all children. No, we're not. You go, how do I fix that? Well, friends, right now, this moment, would you? Right now, say, Jesus, I'd really like you to be my Savior. I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross. You rose again. I believe, Jesus, that, that um, you are the Savior of the world. You're the answer to my sin problem. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Go ahead. You go, that's it? Yeah, that's it. And see, religion will say, oh, well, no, wait a second. That's not quite it. There's a few, there's a few provisos and, uh, you know, fine print there in the contract that you missed. No, no, friends, that truly is it. You confess with your mouth, believe with your heart, you will be saved. Then you are a child of God. Verse 27. I know what you're thinking. If I spend that much time with each verse, we're going to be here all day. But I promise it'll zip through. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. When an actor is on stage and they're portraying different parts, uh, the same actor might portray a couple different roles. They have a costume change. So I'm dressed up like a policeman. Now I'm a policeman. And then I changed costumes, and now I'm dressed up like a fireman. Now I'm a fireman. So the change of clothing indicates a change of character. It says here that you've been clothed with Christ. So you have a change of character. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can transform you from the inside out. Religion transforms you from the outside. Well, it, it says it's not true, but it tries to transform you from the outside in. Only Jesus. Look at transformation truly is an inside job. It really is. Um, religion tries to guilt you into good behavior by reminding you of all the bad things you've done in the past. Jesus changes your character by reminding you of who 
you are intended to be. So we clothe ourselves with Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, so Jesus breaks racial barriers. There is neither slave nor free, so Jesus breaks economic barriers. There is neither male nor female, so Jesus breaks gender barriers. See, I am not a Christian man. I am just a Christian. I'm not a Christian white guy. I'm a Christian. See, here in the presence of Jesus, doesn't matter if we here sits presidents and janitors and truck drivers and insurance salesmen and housewives and young ones and old ones and white ones and black ones and richer ones and poorer ones but in Christ we're all equal it's a beautiful thing only Jesus has the power to bring us together like that and then he goes if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise you remember Remember, I've talked about the Judaizers. The Judaizers, they were the reason, they were the ones giving Paul such a headache and the reason why the book of Galatians was written because these Judaizers were coming into the Galatian churches and they were telling them, look it, if you really want to be a Christian, you need to become Jewish. And they were dangling, if you will, the blessings of Abraham in front of the Galatian Christians saying, Okay, become Jewish, and then you also can be a descendant of Abraham. And Paul says, uh-uh-uh, doesn't work that way. You are a descendant of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. You're not a descendant of Abraham because you do Jewish things. <laughs> and now, check it out. You have the blessings of Abraham. Have you ever checked out the blessings of Abraham? Friends, they are really good. If, if I told you right now that there's a million dollars buried in your backyard, I'm going to guess you wouldn't wait for the spring thaw to start digging it up. I've just told you that God has buried a million dollars worth of spiritual treasure in your backyard. I would encourage you, go dig it up because they are really, really good, the blessings of Abraham. You want to find out, I believe it's Deuteronomy chapter 28. That describes some of the blessings. Genesis chapter 13, I think there's some blessings there. You want to find out the blessings. Those are your blessings in Christ Jesus. So then he goes on. Now, now we're, okay, now I'm going to settle down. Let's read the next seven verses. What I'm saying is, and I love it when Paul says that, whenever he says what I'm saying is, that means he's illustrating the point that he's making, okay? So here comes an illustration that's meant to help us understand it better. I confess it doesn't always help us understand it better, but that's the goal. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father, until the time set by his father. That's key. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of the world. By the way, elemental spiritual forces is a reference to the demonic realm, friends. <clears throat> yes, religion is a demon. 
It's a demonic spirit. So Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy. That's what Jesus tells us. So anything that's stealing, killing, or destroying, you can bet it has Satan's fingers on it. And so the goal of religion is to pull you away from intimacy. It steals the intimacy that you enjoy with God. So religion is itself a demonic spirit. And Paul says that at one point we were all under. We were in slavery. We were in slavery to that. But look at verse 4. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic for daddy. It was Jesus' favorite way to address Father God. In the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, our Abba, Jesus prayed, our dad. Amazing. So you are no, here comes the conclusion. So you, Rich, are no longer, check this out. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, you're not just a child. It says, God has made you also an heir. You are a freaking heir to the kingdom of God. Holy moly, that is powerful. So wait a second. You mean Jesus didn't just, Jesus didn't just, you know, die on a cross and save me from my sin just because that's the good thing to do? You'd like, no, man, there's a lot more to it. Jesus didn't just get you out of the ditch. Jesus puts you in the kingdom. See? Now, Paul is referencing something in these seven verses that's important for us to understand. You know, for us, uh, there's not a real clear line between childhood and adulthood. We just sort of morph into it. Some people are in their 30s, still haven't hit adulthood, right? In the ancient, in, in Judaism, there's a very clear line. It's called the bar mitzvah for boys or the bar mitzvah for girls. And literally at that point, you cross from childhood to adulthood. That's the purpose of that. It's one of the purposes of that ceremony. In the ancient Greek world, they had a similar ceremony, only it took place when a person was about 18. In the ancient Roman world, they also had a very similar ceremony, only their ceremony was not at a certain age. Their ceremony was determined by the Father. It was at a time set by the Father, as Paul says there in Galatians. We just read it. And what would happen is this, that on March 17th, every year, it was one, on the same day every year, throughout the Roman Empire, they celebrated what was called liberalia. And if your family had someone who qualified on March 17th, then your family would celebrate liberalia. And at that point, as I said, the Father would determine that my son is now prepared, is now ready for this. And they would have this ceremony, and the father would take off the child's toga and would put on them an adult toga. It was called the toga virilis. And now that child had gone, that, that young person, I'll say, had gone from childhood to adulthood. And at that point, the father would legally adopt that young person as his own child. 
prior to that, there was only a biological connection. There was no legal connection. Prior to that, the child had no rights. The child was literally no better than a slave. In fact, we have, we have history that's told, that tells us Roman fathers were known to reject their children. Baby girls especially were mistreated and were left often out on the hillside to die. Why? They had no rights. And that was completely in the hands of the father. So then when this ceremony took place, the father would legally adopt that child as his own son. And at that point, that child would become an heir to the estate, the father. And Paul is making reference to this here in, in Galatians chapter 4. He says, at one point, you and I, we were, we were like that child. We're, we're, we're an heir, but yet it's not ours, you know? Remember how a few weeks ago we looked in Galatians chapter 1? And remember, let's go back there just for a quick second because you need to see this. But in Galatians chapter 1, it says, God set me apart, 115. God set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Remember when we talked about that a few weeks ago? How God has a, a plan, a dream. Every one of us has a destiny, right? That God has set apart for us. You've got a destiny. God's, God's, God's got a really good destiny in mind for you. A dream and a plan and it's good and it's rich and it's full, right? And a lot of people miss their destiny. They, they become lost. We use that term. They miss their destiny. And here's the same reference kind of to that, where we're a child. I've, I'm an heir, but I'm not an heir. I mean, like, here's the destiny, but I'm under this law. I'm, I'm enslaved. I, I don't have any rights to it. He says, until, until what happens? Jesus came. And some of the absolute best uh, theology is contained right here in these couple of verses. Look at it. It's so cool. Look at verses 4 and 5. But God sent his son. Jesus is divine. Fully God. Born of a woman. Jesus is human. He's 100% God, 100% human. Born under the law. Jesus is tempted in every way as you and I are, yet is without sin. Jesus came under the same stinking system that you and I are stuck in. He came into our ditch, came into our mess. Jesus was born under it. Follow that? It's pretty cool. Why? In order to redeem those under the law. So Jesus came under the law to rescue you and me. But does it stop there? No. That we might receive adoption to sonship so jesus is fully god fully human came to earth under the law in order to redeem us because that's where we were in order to put us in the family like i said jesus didn't die for you he died as you he took your place on the cross so that you could have his place in the castle he wants to adopt you as his son, as his daughter, and it is good. You see, do you want to be like Jesus? You know, we often say that, right? We say, 
Oh, I, I would love to be just like Jesus. Lord Jesus, make me just like you. Then become a son. Become a daughter. Jesus is the son of God. You become a son, a daughter. You become a child of God. Do you want to be like Jesus? Mm, thank you, Lord. See, our behavior follows our identity. So religion tries to guilt you into doing good things by reminding you of all the bad stuff you used to do and how you have to fix it. Jesus just simply puts a better vision in front of you, and he reminds you of your destiny, of who you're called to be. He inspires you to that. So that you go, why would I want to mess around in the garbage can any longer? I am a prince in the kingdom of God. See? It changes it completely. Because sometimes we think when it comes to sin, like, oh, I just got to, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then we end up doing it, don't we, usually? That's religion. Jesus goes, yep, yeah, okay, here's who you are, here's who you are, here's who you are, here's who you are. Do you get it? Here's who you are. Get it in there, get it in there. And, and eventually, you reach a point where you go, oh, man, that is just so ugly. I don't even want that anymore. I, it, that's so beneath me. It really is. Sin is beneath you. you, you you're destined for way better. You go, does that make me perfect? Uh, obviously not. We all know in our practical experience that doesn't work that way. But it's safe to say that your ability to defeat sin is connected to how well you remember who you are that it's in the moments when you forget your destiny and you forget who you are that you're weakest to, and you're most prone to temptation. True? So behavior always follows identity. Who you are, who you see yourself to be, determines how you behave. Do you see yourself as a loser? Well, then you'll probably behave that way. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Then you'll probably behave that way you see yourself as not having any value, then, then you're going to hold back and not offer any value. But meanwhile, your father goes, swing for the fence. Come on. But Lord, I just struck out. I love you. Swing again. Right? There's so much freedom as a son or as a daughter in the kingdom. What does it look like? I just came up with a short list. It's not a complete list, not by any stretch of the imagination. And not for one second is this a list of to-dos. I'm not at all telling you, go home and do these things in order to be a son or daughter of God. This is, these are just character traits. These are things that come as you, as you begin to own who Jesus has made you to be as a son or daughter of God. You follow the difference? So the first one is this, we admit, we are free to admit failure because we're free to fail. We're free to fail. You know, religion does not give you the freedom to fail, does it? You have to, you have to hold up the appearance. You have to look like you've got it all together. Here's my really big Bible, and here's my suit and my tie. Here's my haircut. Ooh. Meanwhile, I'm beating my wife, and I'm looking at porn, and I'm, you know, I mean, right? 
It's like, but all on Sunday morning, ooh, look at me. Religion, it just doesn't allow you the freedom to fail. But in the kingdom, as a son or daughter, there's room for failure. The Bible says that God is mindful of us. He knows that we're made of dust. He knows that. He has a great destiny in mind for you, but he also knows that you have your bonehead moments and he loves you. There's freedom to fail. Now, that's not an excuse to fail. It's not a reason to fail. It's not at all a reason to go out and just do whatever I want to do. But I know that when I swing and miss, that my dad still loves me. His love, his love for you and me is not connected to, you know, how well you behave. Not at all. And then the second thing, a, a son or daughter is able to forgive others because I know what it is to be forgiven, right? So I fail, I experience God's forgiveness, and now I'm free to be able to forgive you when you sin against me. Jesus taught us that even, that one of the hallmark qualities of a son or daughter, he goes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. One of the hallmark qualities of a son or daughter in the kingdom is is making peace, is forgiving, you know, bearing with one another, forgiving grievances. Why? Well, because do you know how much I've been forgiven? Are you kidding me? I mean, wow, with everything that I've been forgiven, how could I possibly not forgive you when you sin against me, right? Forgiveness is a hallmark of being a child of God. Someone who struggles to forgive Someone who struggles to forgive is someone who has either forgotten how much they've been forgiven or they've never experienced forgiveness themselves. And then a child of God, is dare to, they dare to risk. Man, we dare to risk because I got no fear. You know, we typically don't have a faith problem. We have a love problem. When I know how much my dad loves me, man, now I can jump out of any airplane. I can take any risk because his love is constant. His love is, you know, I mean, I have his, do you know how much he delights in you? Do you know that? Like you're, take a risk. Jesus I happen to think, and this is not a doctrine, so just, uh, you know, you can take it for what it is, but I happen to think that someday when we get to heaven, um, we're going to get to sit around campfires with big, tall glass of iced tea and, and share stories and start swapping war stories, battle stories, right? And we're going to hear Peter's going to say, oh, well, I did this, and it completely blew up in my face, and we're going to laugh. And John's going to say, oh, I tried that, and it completely failed. We're going to laugh. And Joshua's going to say, hey, we tried to do that. And remember the battle of Ai? <laughs> a little embarrassing. <laughs> right? And Abraham, I mean, like, we're all going to sit around the campfire, and you and I will share our risky stories, the, the time, you know, the, the exploits that we've attempted and that blew up in our faces completely. And you know who's going to laugh the hardest, I believe? Jesus. There's such joy 
there's such freedom. He's like, yeah, you totally blew that one, but, but way to go, you tried it, you know? I mean, what do we have to lose, friend? My eternity is secure, right? I got the most important thing in my life nailed down. It's nailed down. So now, what else, what do I got to lose, right? A son or daughter is free to take risks. You know what? The Saturday night service might completely bomb. Just, I'm just saying. I don't believe it will. I don't believe it will, but it might. And is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. May we be the kind of people who encourage one another to take risks and who celebrate the successes and who laugh together at the failures and learn from them and move on, right? May that be the kind of people that we are. Religion doesn't allow you to do that. No, religion has it all locked up. It's carefully controlled, carefully controlled. But a relationship, free. Anyway, we're free to dream because I have a glorious future. Friends, our dreams, think about it. God has placed infinity in your heart. So our dreams go beyond our own lifetimes, right? A, a, a son or daughter of God, look, um, when your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. When you have more memories than you do dreams, start planning your funeral. Man, I want to cross the finish line. I, uh, I've told this story many times, but I, I love, love uh, Karis's grandfather, Grandpa Caston, one of my heroes, who's now with the Lord. He's not with us anymore. But I'll never forget the man, 94 years old, in his nursing home. He's deaf as a post. We had to write things on one of those little marker things just to communicate with him because he couldn't hear you. And the guy is still writing sermons. He's, he's been a, he had been a pastor his whole life. He was friends with Billy Graham. Literally played golf with him back in the 30s and 40s, long before I was here. You know, what a long and distinguished uh, life this man had of service to the king, you know? And um, there he is, 94 years old, still writing sermons. He'd ask, what, what's the church doing? What songs are you singing? What are you doing for evangelism? What's happening in missions? The guy is still at 94. He was the most forward-thinking 94-year-old I've ever met. He, he went to the grave dreaming dreams about the kingdom and the church and her advancement around the world. Uh, what a beautiful example, really. So dreaming is a key quality of a son or daughter of God. You know, slaves don't dream. Slaves are caught up in the drudgery of day to day. They don't have the freedom to dream. They just have to do. But sons and daughters of the king, oh, we got lots of time to dream. And then lastly, we pray because we have access to the father. Prayer is the activity of the son. It's an activity of the son. Prayer is. It's like this, if you wanted to call up President Obama right now, do you think you'd get through? 
I doubt any of us would get through. I don't even know the man's number. But he has two daughters. Think they get through? Absolutely. I bet you they even have their own phone. Right? Same thing. A lot of people relate to God like he's the president, like somehow I got to get through 16 priests and five bishops in order to talk to the God of the universe. <laughs> no, you don't. He's as close as your next breath. He's as close as your next prayer. I love Jeremiah 33.3. Somebody says once said that that's God's phone number. Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me, he says, and I will answer you and tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. God gives you the invitation as his son, as his daughter, to give him a call. Call to me, he says. Call to me. That's prayer. You know, prayer is the privilege of the child. It really is. And then I close with this final statement. You know, I hope that you don't at all sense flippancy in my words. I don't intend to do that. I'm not at all suggesting that we treat God like he's some kind of buddy, you know, like he's a drinking buddy. Some people talk about him like that. He is not a drinking buddy. That's not God. There's a tremendous amount of respect. He's my father. But there's also a tremendous amount of freedom. Hebrews 10 says we come with confidence before the throne. We come with confidence because he's my dad. So, you know, it's right to call him Lord and it's good to call him king, but if you want to melt his heart, just call him dad. I love that. The Lord gave that to me a few years ago. It's like, yeah. If you want to melt his heart, just call him dad. When Jesus said, when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, here's how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, I will be thy name. You notice that of all the things that Jesus could have said, he just said, our father, our, our Abba, our daddy. Why? I mean, he could have said, oh, our, um, here's how you pray. Begin with omnipotent, most holy, almighty God of the universe. I beseech thee. He could have said that. And if Jesus had said that, then that's what we would do, right? He could have said, he could have said, come before God, groveling in the dirt, begging for mercy. He could have said that could have and it would be right I I should grovel in the dirt <laughs> but he didn't instead he said just say this our, our our father our dad and I love that our because Jesus puts himself on the same level as you and me Jesus says here's why, why don't you say this our our dad isn't that cool so Jesus makes himself a son in that prayer our father and he makes you his brother and his sister in that prayer our father who art in heaven our daddy wow friends you are free to swing for the fence something that religion would never allow you to do but jesus christ does gives you the freedom to pick up the bat to step up to the plate to swing for the fence and even miss and you know that he his love for you is secure and it's strong but it comes as we said in verse 26 remember galatians 3:26 faith in jesus christ
doesn't come by accomplishing rules. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you remember the difference between hope and faith? Hope says, I hope I'm saved. I hope I get to heaven someday. Faith says, I know I'm saved. I know I'm getting to heaven someday. How do you know? Well, because God said so. That's how I know. See, it's just like my bank statement. You look at my bank statement. My bank statement says I have so much money in, in my account. Now, I could go off if I wanted to. I wouldn't because I'm cheap. But if I wanted to, I'd go off and go crazy and blow everything in my bank account, right? Because I, I have that much to blow in my bank account, right? You go, well, how would you have the confidence to do that? Well, because the bank says I have that much in my account. Even though I don't have all that cash in my pocket, no. How do I know I have that much? The bank says I have that much in my account. Look at you and I have a bank statement. It's called a Bible. And in that, God has said, look, here's what's in your account. Here's what's in your account. Faith says, I believe what God has said. He said I have it, therefore I have it. See? So, friends, you want to step up to the plate and take a swing as a son, as a daughter of God? Or would you rather just stay in slavery? <laughs> that would be really stupid if you did. I just put it out there. <laughs> but would you like to? No way. I want to take the step up to the plate and take the bat and swing for the fence. Can you bow your heads with me and let's pray and we'll figure out how to close this. So, Lord, I just want to thank you so much, Jesus. Mm. Jesus, I'm, I marvel. I'm amazed that I get to be your kid brother. I'm amazed that I get to be your kid brother. I just thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross. You made it possible. You made it possible. Thank you. So, friend, this morning as we pray, I... I have sensed in my heart the, the prophetic declaration I made at the beginning. It is, it is for you that religion is dead. And I can see it in my heart for you, my friend, that the bony, the dead bony hand of religion is loosening its grip over your soul. And the nail-scarred strong hand of Jesus is taking your hand and leading you to freedom. Can you see that, friend? That's you. Can you see that you come to God thinking that you'll just be his slave? And God says, no way. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm going to make you my just invite you, friend, in the quietness of this moment to simply say yes to God. Simply say yes. That's it. Just yes. Yes, God. I accept. And Lord, we pray this now in your holy name.
we're going to, as we 